You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Amen. What a great morning we've had in worship. And I want you to think with me as we are about to open up God's Word. You know, God's Word is filled with these amazing stories. And of course, we can read literature and and read great stories uh, throughout the ages. And those stories can encourage us. They can excite us or give us some, some, some courage for whatever we have to face in life. But I want you to realize that the story that we'll unpack today is a story that gives us hope and courage and strength in as much as we can know that the, the Jesus that we're going to talk about today can be in our heart. And if you are a believer this morning, he is in your heart. And so you have the ability every day to be on fire, to be ignited, to be truly a light in the darkness. And I'm praying that this time in the Word today will do just that. It will set our hearts afire. We are on the road to Emmaus together, and we're going to continue that story about two disciples that were walking along and had a third person come along who just happened to be Jesus. It's in our passage today that we see his revelation of who he is. But today, my, my prayer for you is that the Christ that we're going to talk about will truly be in your heart and that, will, that he will ignite you to do great things in his name. So if you will, please stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. We hear, quite frankly, the end of the story as it relates to the road to Emmaus, but the beginning of the story of the church having the capacity to be on fire for Jesus. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now notice verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that this morning that we will see you, that you will reveal your glory, your might, your power, your love to us. That God, as we break the bread of life here together, as we we open up your word, which feeds our souls, I pray, God, that there will be some fires started today that will burn brightly for the kingdom of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is Palm Sunday and we are preparing our hearts to go to Easter. I saw some of the little ones with their palm branches. That's so cute. And uh, we're not actually looking at the Palm Sunday sermon or, or, or scripture, but this sermon does, I think, do a great, great service for us on Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday is all about getting ready for Jesus, getting ready for Good Friday, getting ready for Easter. And this passage will do just that. 
many of us, and I would say probably everybody in this room, has at one time or another heard the Easter story. But my question as we begin here today is, have our hearts been ignited by the Easter story? It's not enough to know the story, to be able to even retell it. We want you to be ignited by the story. And if you're not on fire for Jesus, I think it is fair to ask, why not? What is it that is keeping you from having a bright light shining in this dark world? Many of you, if I were to ask you some just really simple orthodox questions, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he rose from the grave three days later, defeating death and hell for all time? So far, you guys are failing the test, but anyway, it's I'm assuming you are assenting. You're saying, yes, we, we believe that. And, and I know you thought it was a rhetorical question. You never think it's a rhetorical question, brother. But yes, we believe these things. But the question is, are we excited about these things? How can we not be passionate about this story that means everything to our hearts and soul? I sat down with a handful of our staff and we were talking about the state and status of not just our church, but the evangelical church. And you wonder how many people who gather together in rooms like this to worship every Sunday, how much percentage wise are on fire for Jesus? Is it five out of 10? Is it six out of 10? Seven out of 10? Eight out of 10? I don't know. I don't know how many of you are on fire. I don't know how many of you feel like you are smoldering, but wherever you are on that, on that list, wherever you fit, I'm going to ask you right now to think about what this Easter season means for you and how important it is for you to be on fire for Jesus. Because I believe the passion of the Christ must ignite our passion for Christ. This is a simple statement that I hope will drive us here today to the very end of our sermon time. But we need to realize that the passion, the love that Jesus shows us on the cross should lead to passion in our lives. How long has it been since you have felt the flame? How long has it been since you would say you are on fire for Jesus? I look around the church and I know as I think back to my life and how many days I've come to church and been a part of a worship service, but really just not really been checked in. I've been more checked out. I want you to get in your mind the image of of a flame that was burning brightly at one time, but as time goes on, as the night gets longer, those, those flames turn into embers and those embers turn into ashes. And I just wonder where you are on that continuum. Are are you still burning brightly? Are the embers still glowing? Or do you feel like it is all turning to ash? Today we need to ask these questions because we desperately need the church to be more than ash. We need it to be more than just glowing embers. We need the church to be a flame pushing back the darkness. Amen? We need to be ignited for Jesus And the only way that happens is when we let the Holy Spirit breathe on us. It is a choice, a choice, I tell you, for you to stop and say, Lord, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. If you are saved, if you are here today and you are a professing Christian, then the spark is still there. But what you need is the breath of God. 
the wind of the Spirit, and the gospel today can provide some fuel for you. If your life has gone a bit sideways due to sin, I pray you will listen because God has a way to get you back on track. My job today is to provide the wood and the matches, so to speak, but ultimately the Holy Spirit has to fan this flame today. And we're going to ask him to do just that, to set our hearts afire. The first thing we need to look at here in the text, in verses 28 and 29, please have your scriptures open because uh, the text is so powerful for us today. Notice this, good things come to those who host. Now here we are, uh, trying to get you worked up. You know, the, the introduction so far, I've been trying to get you to see the need to be on fire for Jesus. And then I go into a point about hospitality. I mean, hospitality isn't the fiery kind of message that we want to hear, but I would like to argue that that's exactly what we need to get fired up. We need to go back to some basics. And if you look at the text in verses 28 and 29, you got two people, could have been two guys, could have been a guy and a girl, who knows, but they're walking along and they've got this third person with them that they don't know who it is and they realize it's getting late. And so they'd been listening to this guy talk and they were like, man, you know, this guy just really seems to have some good things to say. And, and, and they'd been really ignited by what he had said. And so he starts to act like he's going to keep on walking. And these two individuals, they, they do what seems like a very minor thing, but as Christ followers, they do the right thing and they care for a stranger. They say, you know what? It's getting late. Don't pass on by. Come and stay with us. Let's share a meal. We need to remember that there wasn't a holiday inn in those days. Uh, You didn't just have a place, a safe place to go. So if you were by yourself and it was not, you were in more danger. So everything about this shows compassion and care. Stop. Eat with us. Now, I want to pause parenthetically and say to you, look carefully at the life of Jesus. And you will notice that some of the most profound things that occurred, occurred in the context of a meal. We have the feeding of the 5,000, we have the feeding of the 4,000, and ultimately we have the Last Supper. But it's all about a pause, because when you eat, you got to slow down. Even I have to slow down when we eat, although I sometimes eat too fast. But nonetheless, we have to slow down long enough and break that bread together. And that's exactly what happens here. But this small act of kindness on the part of two disciples turns into an opportunity for incredible blessing. In fact, fellowship opens up the door for revelation. Now, I want you to get this down. This is such a simple point, but it's powerful. When we are engaging one with another, when we are spending time with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not just about enjoying a good meal. It's not just about having a good cup of coffee. It's about allowing the Spirit to stir us up when we're together. And fellowship often leads to revelation. It's in those moments where somebody will say something that just grabs a hold of us, convicts us, makes us realize that Jesus is sweeter than we ever knew. Now, they had already felt this wonderful warmth of the teaching of this mystery man. But it is in this moment that they are kind and generous and gracious that they are able to experience Jesus literally face to face. And I wonder for all of us here today, are we willing to just let Jesus pass us on by? Are, are, we, are we slowing down enough in life to allow God to move? COVID-19 has been tragic in many ways and many people have suffered physically. 
But I'm noticing that the suffering goes well beyond the physical. In the past year, most of us have had a complete pulling away from just key relationships, important fellowship. Many of the things we took for granted, COVID took away. I wonder if COVID-19 hasn't opened our minds and our hearts to a larger reality, opened the door, opened a window, if you will, to one of the church's greatest needs. And what that is, is that we as a church need to slow down long enough to be able to talk to someone, care enough to share a meal. When we do this, gospel opportunities rise up. As we were talking about this very theme Thursday, as we always do, we pull out our passage and we look at it together as a staff, a couple of us do. One of the images that came into my mind was the image of a bullet and a feather. As I begin to think about this passage and what happens here, it would have been so easy if everybody's busy and everybody's got their agenda for the disciples just to let Jesus pass on by like a bullet, just let him keep going. And I got to thinking about my life and how many times our, our security detail here, they love to talk about how it's hard to keep up with Jeremy because I'm like a bullet from one end of the room to the other. In the first service, I try to like shake every hand and there's a lot of people in here and that takes, that takes me like moving fast. And in my life, I've always felt like I've kind of had the trajectory of a bullet going. I have, a, I have a goal. I have an aim. I'm trying to hit something over here. Don't slow me down. I've got to get over there because there's more work to do, more ministry to accomplish. But as I begin to think about it, when we are really letting the Spirit move, it's more like a feather floating in the air than a bullet fired at a target. I want to ask you right now, are, are you in this, in this game of life and you're moving so fast that you're just trying to get to some place and you're trying to check something off your list? I was joking around with Sailor earlier. You know, we're both list kind of people. We have lists and we want to get them done. And, and to me, that's kind of the bullet mentality. But I want to tell you something. If you think about a feather floating in the air, I want you to get that image in your mind, that feather floating in the air. I want you to realize that as that feather is floating, the air, the wind is what dictates where it will go. It's purely based on the wind. But if you're a bullet, the wind impacts where you go. It it actually changes you where you go, where you land. Now, those of you who are are really good marksmen, those of you who who like to to hunt and, and, and shoot long distance, you know that you have to calculate the wind because the wind alters the trajectory of the bullet. It's a negative force. But when you're a feather, the wind is a positive force. It has all the momentum. It takes you where it wants you to go. I think it's important for us as we look at this passage. It would have been so easy for these two disciples with the bullet mentality to let Jesus pass on by. But instead, something told them that they needed to pause. They needed to pray. They needed to spend some time together in fellowship. And because of that, God did a great work in their lives. I'm challenging you this morning. I'm asking you to think about what is going on in your life. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move and motivate you? We've been talking about being all in for discipleship. And I think that um, one of the ways we're going to get away from passive Christianity and more active use of our faith is to be all in in discipleship. I, it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do to slow down and, 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 and link arms with someone and, and just read the scriptures together. It seems so counterintuitive. Shouldn't we be going out there doing something? Well, let me say this. The reason why when we do something, we don't have power is because we haven't spent time growing in the spirit. And when we are discipled one-on-one or one-on-two or three, we are able to grow as, as men and women of faith. And then when we do what we do, we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. 
Listen, it's not enough about, about, about being busy. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that hospitality is gasoline to spiritual fire. If we are all in for discipleship, then we will slow down long enough to let people into our lives. The feather is moving at a slower pace. It's being driven by the wind. But I believe that slower pace leads to deeper relationships. And that's what I see here on the road to Emmaus in verses 28 and 29. But let's look at verses 30 and 31. We're asking God to open our eyes to what's going on here. And notice the two disciples invite Jesus to be the honored guest. But note how the guest quickly becomes the host. If you slow down long enough to spend time with Jesus, and many times that's in in relationships, in discipleship relationships, I'll tell you what happens. You're no longer in charge. You'll find out that Jesus is in charge. He takes over. He doesn't want to just impact you and influence you. He wants to take over your life. And that's the best life to live is the life that is fully immersed in Jesus. One act of kindness brought Jesus into their midst. And notice that at the moment of recognition, the breaking of the bread, that's when they realized it was Jesus. What a curious story because at the very moment that they know it's Jesus, Jesus does a disappearing act. What's up with that? You know, you would think, well, now they know it's Jesus. Now let's have a real worship service. But here's the deal. The worship service had already taken place. We read last week about how those disciples got to hear Jesus preach the entire Old Testament. They had already got the message. They just needed to know from whom the message came. And the minute they knew it was Jesus, that was enough. Jesus was on to bigger and better things. But in this moment, I want you to realize there's something beautiful here. It all happens because... Jesus had opened the scriptures to them. Their eyes had been opened. Eyes must be opened by Jesus. And then our mouths must be willing to share Jesus with others. That's what it's all about. The verbiage here is interesting. The breaking of the bread, the language here is almost identical to the language that we see in chapter 9, verse 16 in the feeding of the 5,000. And what's interesting about that parallel is, is that in Luke chapter 9, Up until that point, even the disciples are in some doubt as to who Jesus is. But after the Lord's, uh, this great meal that is served to 5,000, the Lord breaks the bread and feeds more than 5,000 people. It's in chapter 9, verse 18, that Peter first proclaims Jesus as the Christ. It was after the breaking of bread that the disciples clearly understood who Jesus was. Christ used meals to open eyes and hearts to his messianic mission. You see, we all need a turning point, a heart-changing encounter with God. Listen, God is always, always at work around us. He's providing the sparks, but he's, I think, waiting for us to add a little bit of wood to that fire and to kindle it. Friends, the the, the Bible has everything we need. We, We have what we need within our hearts. But the question is, it's not, has God given us what we need? The question is, will we be good stewards with what we've been given? Will we open our eyes and live for him? Because let me tell you, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to wish something on you that you're going to, you're going to think's crazy. I'm praying for you to have some heartburn today. Now, normally, heartburn's a bad thing. When you're young, you don't worry about it as much. When you get older, like looking at food gives you heartburn, okay? Now, listen to this. Heartburn here, though, is the best sort. All spiritual fire is ignited by the word of God. I am asking you to consider 
that God can ignite your heart with his word. As Jesus is recognized, we've already said he disappears. But the very first thing, look at verse 32, that the disciples remember is that as they were talking to Jesus on the road, as he opened to them the scriptures, that's when they felt their hearts burning. That's when they felt this amazing joy in knowing that, wow, God has been at work, even in Jesus. Remember, these individuals, just moments before, hours before they heard Jesus speak, they were in despair. Their lives and faith was in ash. But as time went on, as they heard this man speak, their hearts began to to breathe again, and the glow began to get brighter, and they realized ultimately why was because Jesus was there. What a powerful story. And it all happened because of the word. Notice that when they think about it, they said, notice how our hearts were burning as he opened to us the scriptures. Now, they didn't say, wow, how our hearts burned when he broke the bread. That was the moment of revelation. But the real revelation was that the flame and the fire and the stoking and the power, it was all in the preaching and teaching of the word. Listen, church, there is a clear message here that the Holy Spirit still works. He uses his word to get us where we need to go. I believe that, you know, as I was preaching this last week, I shared with you that how I would want to be here to hear Jesus give this message. And then the spirit this week really convicted me because basically the spirit said this. Every time you pick up your Bible, Jeremy, you get what they got. You have the Gospels where Jesus is preaching the Old Testament, where he's telling them all the places where he's at. Listen, I don't need to go back in time and walk on the road to Emmaus. I have the word of God. If my heart is not on fire for Jesus, it is because I've not allowed the spirit to blow in my life. And I'm going to tell you right now, church, we don't need to be asking and praying for some kind of visual miracle. We don't need to go out of our way to try to find some some great move of God, though he may do it if he chooses to do so. Listen, the miracle is here. The potential for a heart on fire is here. And we must believe that God is going to bring it to us today. The tragedy is we have forgotten, church, That if the Holy Spirit is truly in us, this road to Emmaus experience is ours to have every day. And if your heart hasn't burned in a long time after you've read the word, I'm going to tell you right now, that means something isn't quite right. That's a diagnostic. That's an eye opener. And I don't want you to come here today and think that I intended to step on your toes. That's not the purpose. Listen, we all go through seasons where where the flame flickers a bit, where the embers seem to be growing cold. But listen, the word of God and the Holy Spirit working through that word can change everything. Jesus came to die for our sins. And as this beautiful story reminds us, he also came to open our hearts to the word. These two disciples had this beautiful moment where Jesus connected what they knew about Jesus to what they realized in their hearts. We desperately need people today in this church to have hearts on fire for Jesus. 
Some of you know that before I, I, I felt the call to ministry and, and, and surrendered to the call of ministry, I thought I was going to be a medical doctor. As it turns out, I'm not very good at working on my lawnmower, so probably working on you wouldn't have been a good idea. Um, I'm not real good with, with tools and stuff, and I think doctors need to be able to do that. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I've often thought about how I do love to, to learn and you know, I, I enjoyed biology and, and, and those kinds of things and, and physiology and, and just how I remember even in undergraduate studies like in biology, botany and zoology, how incredible life is and human life in particular, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, let me just say this. Not too long ago, I read this book, which was absolutely terrible and I will not recommend it. But the guy who wrote it was an MD. And this guy was so full of himself. It was, you know, it's one of those books where I thought, you know, eventually he was going to make me, like, really appreciate him. And then, you know, I finished it and I was like, this guy's he's terrible. But anyway, he made this wonderful point. And obviously I'm not telling you who it is because I don't, you know, whatever. But he made this wonderful point. And he said, as an MD, he's a, this guy was a brain surgeon. And he said that there are, there's this incredible amount of, of nerves and, and, uh, and connection between the base of the brain and the back of the heart. And he was talking about how, how it, it is very true that when you're feeling anxious or depressed or down, where you feel it most, you may get a headache, you may feel tired, but if you've ever really grieved, if you've ever really been down, you know the place where it hurt the most was right here. Now, we can talk about that in spiritual terms, but in terms of physiology, that's the way it is. There's a direct link between your brain and your heart. And I believe that for the church today, many of us, we have all the th- information we need up here, but it seems like there's this, there's this back road, crooked road connection between our, our brains and our hearts. And somehow, some way, we're not getting this truth of Easter, this beautiful hope of the gospel from here to here. We have too many people who know the gospel, but aren't on fire for the gospel. This weekend, my son had a baseball tournament in Stockton, Missouri. There's about a hundred ways to get there from here, and almost all of them are terrible. Now, beautiful, but I'm talking up and down. I've been on roller coasters that were less exciting, some of the roads I was on. And then last, yesterday when we went, I realized that if you drive up like to Bolivar on a four-lane highway, and then, you know, take a left... Uh, and go straight to Stockton. It's literally this way and this way. It's north and west. And, you know, my family, they know as they've traveled with me over the years, that's just a normal trip with dad. We're going to go the long way around. It seems like we, we, we get misled by GPS. I'm going to blame it on GPS. That's my, that's my story. But I want to tell you, when I think about my life, live for Christ. There have been many days where it was a long and winding road from here to here. But God's word is telling us that if we will allow the Holy Spirit to really grab our hearts, there will be a straight line, super highway from our minds to our hearts. And our hearts will be ignited by the truth of the gospel. What we need, brothers and sisters, is a heart set on fire by the word of God that turns into a fiery witness, a fiery witness fanned by the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, what will it take for you to experience that fire? What will it take for you to realize that your heart needs to be ignited? All of us in this room are at varying states with our flame. Some of us have a flame that's burning brightly right now. Others 
have gone down to embers and some of you are right down to the ash. And I'm going to say to you, please, please, please don't leave this room today without asking the Holy Spirit to breathe on you. You need to have a road to Emmaus experience where your eyes are opened up. May the bread be broken right now that you may see that Jesus is here and pray that the Holy Spirit will breathe on you and cause whatever little spark is left to turn into a flame. At the end of the sermon, we often try to guilt people down front or tell you you got to do something, commit to something. That's many times what we do. And it's not bad. It's not, it's, that's not a bad thing. We, we want to challenge you to respond to the gospel. But today, instead of trying to put a guilt complex on you, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to rest in Christ. I want you to get that image of the feather again. I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to realize that the wind of the Spirit is blowing in this room. And this wind will carry you to where Jesus wants you to be. And if I may mix the metaphor, I I believe as that wind blows, you will be reignited. The problem isn't a lack of fire in the church. We all have a little, but the truth is we need more. And I'm asking you today to be a little bit on the passive side, not to be thinking about what to do next, but to ask yourself how you can be that child of God who is willing to let the Spirit of God breathe on you. Oh, Holy Spirit, oh, sweet Jesus, Lord and Savior, reignite our hearts. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.